I have to be delusional enough to think people are going to listen to this. It's thunderstorming outside. There's lightning. Hit me with it. Come on. How smart can you be when you have huge mantids? Okay, he, him. Go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner. I'll take care of this. It's just common sense. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Common Sense. Today's guest is Bowtie Brosidon, our first ever repeat guest. Your favorite account's favorite account, Brosidon helps his followers handle tricky social situations, and he has the dream that one day, everyone will be able to speak without looking at their shoes. Today, we discuss why millennials are universally despised, and everyone's favorite two and a half months out of the year, wedding season. And finally, Brosidon shares a little secret that helps him become the coolest version of himself. And don't worry, you can get in on the action too. Let's get into it. Hello there, Mr. Brosidon. How are you doing tonight? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me, Commoner. Fantastic. Well, well, we just love to hear that around these parts. So (laughs) um, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Yeah, of course. As our resident social expert, I have a couple of new questions for you today. So first thing I want to start with is something you tweeted about, which is the difference in generations or more importantly, the bad rep that millennials get. So people love to shit on millennials, myself being one of them. I don't know why there is such a strong aversion. So my first question to you would be, why do you think people dislike millennials? It's a good question. And I think, uh, first off, this is a big burden. I have to speak on behalf of my (laughs) entire generation right now. But um, I'm going to start by talking about the sandwich that we find ourselves in between. So we got Zoomers like yourself, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, you guys kind of grew up after the internet and all that stuff started to, to be a thing, right? Like you you didn't really have the analog experience that we had when we were younger. Um, and you, you know, you, you had more accessibility to like video games and social media and stuff from a younger age. And then we have boomers who somehow didn't get rich in the best economy that's ever existed mm-hmm. and worked at the same company for 40 years and called the sleazy. Right. I believe that's an exact quote from my tweet that I sent. Mm-hmm. So I think we catch a lot of flack because we're kind of this weird in between, right? Like we don't say for real, for real bussing on God, but at the same time, like we didn't work for the same company for 40 years and get laid off and get the same package as everyone else. Right. So mm-hmm. I understand the hate. And then on top of that, like you said it yourself, there's a lot of weird, like we were, we started hipsters and coffee shops and trying to make Brooklyn cool and trendy and all this stuff. So I, I, I do understand some of the hate. But from my perspective, I think that us millennials are, and again, as I tweeted, we can probably link to the tweet somewhere, but we're in a unique position where we saw both. Like I grew up at six years old, I got my first Nintendo 64 and it took my boomer uncles, I remember this distinctly, like three hours on Christmas Eve to figure out how to plug the red, yellow, and white plugs into the back of the TV to get it going and like blowing on a cartridge. And I didn't have a cell phone with color on it till I was in high school. But then now I find myself where like Instagram came out when I was in college, Snapchat came out when I was in college, Twitter, like a little bit before that I had MySpace when I was in like late middle school into high school. So like we kind of saw it all. And I, I personally think again, that we're in a really unique position where we can kind of combine those things. We still have a lot of at least experience with the tradition and the analog experience, but also an understanding of the new. And I think that needs to be what's focused on more and all the good. And also like not for nothing, we kind of got dealt a little bit of a shitty hand in terms of money, right? We had 07 and 08, right? When we were coming out of high school, mm-hmm. we then we had COVID happen again. Not That's not to say that COVID didn't happen to everyone else. Just like it's weird when it happens to you when you're 28 in your career and you're just starting to pop off and you're trying to buy a house and stuff. And then all of a sudden the world shuts down for two years. Yep. Um, so that's a long-winded way of saying that I think it's a combination of bad marketing and uh, bad timing. <laughs> um, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the points you brought up that I found really interesting and I think I agree with is the idea that you 
grew up in a state you knew the world before all the technology and gen z didn't of course i when i grew up i had an ipad i had a phone like all of these screens were very normal to me so we're really in tune with the technology but the biggest difference i think is that you got instagram in college or so i got instagram at like 12 or 13 and so the difference of pictures Instead of MySpace where you're just talking and you're texting and you're being mean to each other in middle school, like that's one thing. But I think Gen Z is so obsessed, not even obsessed, but they know exactly how they look in photos. They know what their good side is, their bad side is, their nose, like they just know their face so much, Snapchat, Instagram in a way that human beings have never experienced before, I think. And so... I don't think it's good for a 14-year-old girl to know which side is her good side or bad side or to just be so in tune to her own appearance. And I know, like, I think it obviously it's had huge impacts on uh, insecurity and your self-worth, the self-esteem, all those things. But that's a huge difference between Gen Z and millennials is you had more of the writing, the texting technology when you were in that very, you know, sponge age whereas we had 100%. pictures and videos yeah and it leads to the cyberbullying and it leads everyone judging and it basically just like exacerbates all that high school stuff that teenage stuff like times 10 i get that completely uh you just reminded me i have to take a quick side tangent because i have to share something with you that i don't know if you know that this was a thing okay so when i was in college i graduated college in 2013 the experience was girls brought their digital cameras out to the party like literally had a digital camera strapped to their wrist at a party and they would take hundreds of pictures per night. Like I, I was in Greek life. So like sorority girls I was friends with, and then they would go home that night or the next morning and they would upload every single picture they took the night before to Facebook Mm -hmm. to an album. They would name it. And the only way you got to see your picture was if they tagged you in the picture. So they would go through and like tag every fucking hundred of the 120 pictures, whoever. Yeah. And like, you didn't know if you were going to be in the, like people, like if they cheated on their girlfriend or boyfriend and they were in the background, like you Mm. didn't know if you were like drunk guys in the background. I literally have a story where one of my best friends who is no longer with the girl that the story is about, but we were at a party. I was single at the time. And we were dancing with girls that like just came up to us and started dancing. And he wasn't even in the picture. Just his wrist was in the air. And he had like a bracelet on that was like a distinct bracelet. <laughs> and that night he woke up to a knock on his door and he answered the door and his girlfriend punched him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but like that, I don't, that was our experience, right? That was like early 2010s. Like that was that was what people did. And now it's like I can't even fathom that being a thing. Like, I, you know how it goes. Think about you and your friends. Like, you can't post a picture unless everyone approves of it. There's like two <laughs> filters on it, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's it's a very, very different experience. So it's kind of crazy how quick that happened, too. Yeah, we bring those disposable digital cameras around as, like, a retro item. It's, like, a cute thing to talk about and get some cute photos afterwards. But, um, yeah, I was just poking fun at your long age but anyway yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah accepted accepted um yeah i and what's really interesting now is that people of my age i have found the more older end of the gen zers are just over instagram like most people i know don't actively post on instagram anymore it's just all tiktok yeah and like they're just not they're just consuming i would say they're not actively posting. I mean, obviously, there's sorority girls that are still posting, but it's less of a, like, when I was in high school, the number of likes that you got, the number of followers, your follower ratio, like, these things mattered. No one talked about it, but it mattered. Now it's, like, more about staying connected to your actual friends. People have fewer followers. People don't interact nearly as much, at least on my end. Maybe I'm just aging out, but... That's how it feels because Instagram became so corporate and how people sell products now. It was less about the social interaction and more about FabFitFun boxes. That's really interesting. I don't get that perspective. I don't talk to enough of you young folk. No, but that's that's actually really cool. Um, I kind of like that. Yeah. Because 
it had to be the wave always has to hit the wall and come back a little bit right like we were the the direction if we keep moving in this direction like no one's going to live life anymore that's why yeah. apple's selling $3,500 ar headsets yeah so that people don't have to live anymore yeah that's that's pretty cool all right zoomers yeah. all right look at you yeah do you have an aversion to zoomers uh no i the only thing that i have an aversion to is in general, and I've tweeted about this and it comes through on Twitter all the time, I really, really, really don't like people that are entitled for things that aren't their own accomplishments. Mm. So like rich kids, the the kids of rich kids, and I shouldn't make it as a generalization because it doesn't matter if your family has money or not, but it matters to me if you're the son or daughter of someone with money and you are entitled because of that money that's not yours that you didn't earn. And I do feel like... I sound fucking old when I'm about to say this, but the the risk of being punched in the face has almost gone away, which led to an entitlement of TikTokers that think they can get in a random stranger's car for a video. Yeah. I'm making a generalization, but I think that that is more prevalent in your generation, that I can say whatever I want, no one can touch me kind of thing. And I mean, granted, I grew up in the five boroughs of New York where it was a little bit more rougher, but like I couldn't even, you know, wink at someone's girlfriend without worrying about getting pushed, punched in the face. Mm-hmm. And now like someone can come up and be like, Hey, can you want to like make a TikTok video? Like, Hey, leave him, come with me like that. I don't know that that is what I have an aversion to. So I don't want to talk trash on a generation because you also have 16 year old millionaires in your generation, right. Mm-hmm. That are utilizing all this tech and doing things so well. So who am I to, to judge, but my aversion is to specific things. I think that's a very fair point. And I think we discussed this many eons ago on our first podcast together about how the language that we're allowed to use with each other is much more limited. And they've kind of taken the color out of a lot of things. Not saying that punching is color, but like they've just sterilized interaction a lot so that it's more polite, good natured. You can't say anything that could be potentially offensive. You can't say that you don't approve of someone's way of life of what they're doing you don't get to punch them in the face if they wink at your girlfriend that kind of thing i get it yeah 100 percent. but it also kind of lands into more passive aggressiveness doesn't it like once you make all these rules people are still going to talk shit to each other it's just in a different way like like now it happens like people are gauging your like your uh your zealotry to your political party right like like oh you're not as much of an activist as me like oh you're not as much of a MAGA fan as me like how republican are you how dem- like that kind yeah. of stuff it just happens in different ways now yeah and uh, i guess it's a little bit i don't know if you want to call it more sophisticated but it requires more thought to do it in the way that it's done it's more subtle but i hate it <laughs> i hate it i hate it so much that's i mean like perfect example right you don't really know me know me but you kind of know me at this point right we've been mm-hmm. interacting with each other for a year now we've we've had this is our second podcast together i worked at a san francisco startup company they do not know how to handle me because i'm as smart as them if not smarter i do the job i do the job well but i also like will tell someone to fuck off mm-hmm and like the people like aren't used to that anymore. They're like, oh my, what do I do? Like, it, it's kind of like, I, I, I don't fit into their box and they definitely don't fit into my box. It's, it's, it's an interesting experience. And I don't know what the best path forward is, but being honest, I'm not going to pretend to know. I do think that at the end of the day, though, people are always drawn to strength. It seems like you have a little bit of that in you too. A little bit of that spunk to, to not be completely cold. Yeah, I would hope so. I also think it's just learned when you realize like the being cold is purposeful in that you don't want to be one of the masses. <laughs> and so it, I think a chip on my shoulder from COVID just being like locked in my house for two years, it just rubbed off on me the wrong way. And now I'm not a super big fan of anything. I'm just kidding. Of authority or anything like that. But I get it. I get it. And I mean, like you do a really good job of, of kind of holding your ground too. like you and I have some banter, we joke around, but you know, you, you do a good job of like, you are a young woman. You don't want people to view you as weak or anything. And you, you portray your strength with competence and with like not taking BS again, this is just from our minimal directions (laughs) of what I see, but you understand what I'm saying. There's a compliment in there. So take it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take it. Take it and run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's just an interesting state of being as a Gen Zer, where we are often the butt of jokes, and rightfully so, because that haircut is so bad. The and we top. are losing the language so quickly. I understand some of the jokes, but I also think you locked a bunch of high school kids in their rooms for two years. They didn't go to prom. They got their first year of college ruined. They all these m- milestones. And then they get out of it. And yeah, they're a little weird. They're socially behind all of these problems. You did that to them. You gave them the iPhone at six years old. Like, so I understand why we are deserving of rebuke, but I also feel as though we're a victim of circumstance. Both things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You're not hating on Gen Z, but that was my one word for Gen Z. No, I mean, I, I have no rebuttal there. Like, what am, <laughs> what am I going to say? You're right. You're right. You got like bussing, bussing for real, for real. Yeah. It came about because of that. Like that kind of stuff happened. That's why TikTok exploded too, probably in some capacity. Um, there, it's, it's just a reason. It's not an excuse. Yep. Well, moving on to lighter topics than sure. the decline of our generations, it is wedding season. Yes, and it is. Wedding season is the social season of the year, and it seems to get longer every year. It seems to get more extravagant every year. So I would love to discuss some of the nuances of this time of year. So I am so happy you asked this. I love <laughs> this topic. So the first thing is I'm currently the maid of honor in a wedding where they're trying to save some money. They don't want to spend an incredible amount of money. They just want to spend a lot of money, if you know what I mean. Yep. So what are the polite ways, in your opinion, to cut costs, if any? So the obvious ones are to cut the guest count, which is difficult if you have a family of big size. Do you not let your guests bring a plus one? Do you, God forbid, have a cash bar? Like, how can you somehow cut costs on this thing okay so i need to preface what i'm about to say i live in the northeast i am of italian heritage (laughs) my people have huge ass weddings it's a thing i know i tweet about weddings all the time and i get the responses of people from the south people from the midwest people from all over america it's not always the same thing not in, in cities where the extravagance is much lower right like i saw a chart recently where they talked about like 30k plus is the high end 30k doesn't even cover the venue in the northeast yep for 100 people so like the numbers are very different I just wanted to to set that preface because if anybody is listening to this and you are from an area where you can have a wedding for 30K, God bless you. (laughs) God bless you. Now, in terms of cutting costs, I had a relatively big wedding. Um, I don't want to say how many people I had, but it was a lot, a lot, a lot of people at my wedding. And I went through this. So there are some ways that you can go about this. One, a really easy one, flowers. I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, you have real flowers at your wedding. It's going to be like seven to 10 grand minimum. I know some, I went to a wedding once where they spent $35,000 on flowers. I completely believe that. So we've gone to multiple weddings where, oh, by the way, another thing that gives me some credentials and probably why commoner asked me this, I have attended in the last two years, probably over 25 weddings. Yep. I guess I'm like wedding crasher here. Um, <laughs> you can do tasteful fake flowers, in my opinion. So you can go from 10 to 2,000. There's an mm. easy way. Another thing, a DJ versus a band. I don't know the pricing otherwhere, other places in the country, but in the Northeast and the New York City greater area and the surrounding suburbs, a band is like 20 grand and a DJ can be like seven grand. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge savings right there. Um, Venetian hour and after party. Those are other things that are really expensive, right? So I, God for fucking bid, you invite me to your wedding with a cash bar. <laughs> God for fucking bid. <laughs> You're making someone come to a wedding and you're going to make them pay for drinks. Don't do that. I'd rather you go to the liquor store and buy handles and 30 packs than do that. Um, But that doesn't mean that they can't pay their way, their own way at the after party. You don't have to cover the $5,000 bar bill after when you go to the bar, you just let Mm -hmm. the bar know that you're coming and make people pay their own. That's like a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that the overall, if you can kind of guess where I'm going with this is like the overall advice is don't cut costs on the things that people see in the the core of a wedding that makes you look almost cheap. Yep. 
do it for the extra things, in my opinion. So there's very tactical advice. Flowers, after party, and if you need to, source your own alcohol. I completely agree. Uh, People also are band, getting on a band plane. and DJ. Band oh, and yep. DJ too. That's DJ, really band. Um, if you know someone who's good at music, you could probably hire them as a DJ for less than that. Maybe they're not a professional DJ. It's slightly risky, but another way to potentially cut costs. I just brought this up because this was a topic on Twitter a few weeks ago, and I believe we were on the same side of the argument because my friend is trying to get married. It's going to cost her three grand to get married in a Catholic church for the ceremony. Yep. So the idea that you can have a $20,000 wedding <laughs> when a significant percentage is going to the actual marriage under God is not really feasible. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so much money. And as someone who is concerned about money, that would add stress to my day, obviously, as the number ticks up and up and up and up. Like now that I'm spending a down payment on a house on this day, it better be freaking perfect. I better have so much fun. Everyone must have the best time and it will just add stress to my day. And I don't know how to get away from that when it does come to be my time. But I also don't want to be impolite by saying no plus ones, which I find to be very rude as well. So the rule that we did was we had to have met your spouse. Okay. So no new boyfriends, no new girlfriends. Yeah, that's but fair. But if, we, if we've met them, come to my wedding. I want you there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're a part of our life. But if I, like we had some cousins that had like relatively new boyfriends and girlfriends. And what we said to them was if we get some no's, yes. Another thing that you can do is have a B list, which mm -hmm. we did. So mm -hmm. you send out your, save the dates. You don't send save the dates to, you know, however 20% of the people that were like on the bottom 20%. And then when they accept or not, then you invite the B list. Um, another random tidbit of advice here for folks listening in the wedding uh, realm you are going to have some people cancel that day and you have already oh. paid for their plate and it is a thing what i personally did was i had some tangential friends that i was closer to at the time of my wedding coming than when i was doing the invites you know that's for like a two-year stretch mm -hmm. in between especially because of covid in my case right um i was like hey dude listen if you have a suit ready i'm probably gonna have one or two people that can't come that I already paid for, just come. And if you don't want to come, don't. Don't give me a gift even. I just already paid for the plate. Just come. Don't give me a gift. Come have fun. Enjoy the drinks. Um, just some something there. But I have a much larger, much more spicy and controversial take on this commenter. Hit me. And I think in my gut, this is why weddings are getting more and more extravagant. So obviously the point that you made about Instagram and everything, that's like a huge factor, right? Everyone wants like the princess wedding and blah, blah, blah. Right. And we all know that the guy is just the, the little plastic man on the cake <laughs> wedding. It's the ladies day. But for most people, for most of existence, if you are not a celebrity and you are not some famous CEO, that is the only time that you will walk in a room and be that important mm. in your entire life. And I think that that's part of the allure. I think that it's like, you are never going to host a ball or a gala. You're never going to walk in in a beautiful dress and a tuxedo and have everybody kissing your ass and saying how happy they are for you and fawning over you. And that's why. And again, I know that's a spicy take, but I really, really genuinely think that that's true. But wouldn't that be the case 30 years ago and more weddings as extravagant 30 years ago my gut instinct would be no i mean my parents had 400 people at their wedding oh jeez but it costs a fifth so i you know i don't know it could be a cultural thing yeah and i i kind of breezed over your question you were asking about like money right and thinking about money and like the big extravagant wedding right that was your question that you initially mm -hmm. asked so some some more really straightforward and actionable advices. First and foremost, I would have, as soon as you are thinking about getting married, you know, you or the question is popped, I would have a conversation with both sets of parents and get an understanding of how much they're going to contribute if they're going to contribute at all. Now that is between you and your family. I don't want to judge you. If you have money, let them pay for it. If they don't have they don't, no money, you got to pay for yourself. That's your own prerogative. But I would have that conversation straight up and right at the beginning because then you don't have to worry about it, right? 
mm-hmm. it's out there you get it from there have a long engagement in my opinion save your money know exactly how much item everything how much it's itemized for and then just pay things over time you don't have to plan everything within one month and pay the hundred thousand dollar bill or however much you're going to spend on your wedding you can spend five grand a month over 20 months mm-hmm. as you save it so I think just going about it pragmatically like we do everything else in life uh, is, is just the best way to go about it. Just using some thought. Yeah. One of those just little things like that that come up and just add so much stress to the For day. No I mean, and as the maid of honor, my job is just to combat and find little potential areas of stress and just mitigate before the bride is even aware of them, um, mainly on the day of. But when I was first asked to be maid of honor, I was obviously honored. But then my second feeling was apprehension was like, am I ready for this? <laughs> because my hundred percent. I want to do a good job. I've never done it before. We're really young. Um, Did you go on the bachelorette party yet? Not yet. Okay. Let me give you one more bit. Okay. Your job, your sole job <laughs> is to be the enforcer for her on that bachelorette party. That is her fucking bachelorette party. It is no one else's. Anyone else wants to complain about the plan, complain about the money, don't come. Shut up. It Mm. is this is the one time that it is her trip. And she should not have to deal with telling people to fuck off. That's your job. You're the bouncer on the trip. I know this idea. (laughs) I'm adding more pressure to you, but like like people, people always praise my wife as like the bachelorette MVP because she does that. She cleans the Airbnb. She makes sure everyone gets home. She's still having fun. She's still partying yeah. with the best of them. Well, not now because we are expecting, but you get the gist. Yeah, yeah, a little drop there. Um, <laughs> but but you get the gist. Like you, you, you are the one that she chose. Be the MVP. And I promise you, you'll have her eternal thanks for doing that and stepping up. Yeah, I think that's like we're a very close group of friends. And so she could have picked a couple of us to be the maid of honor. But I think I was chosen for that exact reason, if I'm being completely honest, <laughs> to be reliably enforcer and mandator of fun and good attitudes. Um, one other thing I would ask, just as best man or maid of honor, do you have any recommendations for the speech? And have you ever experienced a cringy speech? A cringy speech in your long history of weddings. Oh yes, I have. Oh, God. But let's uh, let's start with generic advice, right? Um, first and foremost, don't forget the spouse. That's the biggest, most egregious error. And I've seen, obviously, because we're absolutely retarded, and I've seen guys do it more than girls, right? Where like it's the brother of the groom, and he just roasts his brother, and then forgets to bring up the the bride oh. at all. Don't do that mention them both, mention their love, mention how you saw them, right? Um, I think time is a thing. You know, you see a lot of people open up their notes app on their phone and just look down and read and they don't realize they've been rambling for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So don't tell 10 stories, tell one or two good ones, give them both a little roast, make it funny, tie it into the story and the theme, uh, the theme you're trying to go with and keep it snappy, right? Um, Bonus points if you don't have to read. If you're nervous, I get it. Have a couple cocktails, drink some beef or ramp health. Shout out ramp health. Shout out ramp health. Um, and, more on and that later. Anything, more on that later. <laughs> um, but you understand what I'm going with, right? Like, mm. I you need to mention both. You should mention their love. Also, you'll get a lot of brownie points if you throw in uh, a little bit of thought into thanking both sets of parents for making the day happen. Maybe a shout out to a relative if they have any relatives that died recently. I know you're here watching. They'd be proud of you. Um, and, you know, maybe a mention of how poised they were on that day or how good they look, whatever. Mm. But, like, you, you just don't – basically, the generic advice is be a little humorous, be lighthearted, keep it quick and, and to the point. Don't drone on and really try to make it not corny. Mm-hmm. you can youtube the shit out of it and you'll see examples and get what i'm going with and you and i can talk offline i can help you with it when when you start to write it but Mm -hmm. um, i i have no doubt that you will crush it because you do this all the time and you are quick on your feet awesome i'm glad to hear that um is not really nerve-wracking to me i just want to know if i am putting the right content in it such a youtuber thing to say but 
I've heard that the purpose of the speech is to introduce your groom or your bride to the other side of the family who may not know them and that, that you should stay well away said. from the inside jokes that other people just won't get, which makes a ton of sense. So yes, like uh, an example would be like, I don't know how well all of you know so-and-so, but they can be a little bit uptight. Like, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. Like you make a joke, right? When really right. They're, they're super uptight. Right. But so like exactly, you, you just said it perfectly. Yeah. It is to introduce them to the other side, to poke fun, and also just make sure that you're adding to the experience and the entertainment of the night. Yep. Now, the second part of your question, cringe. Cringe. Boy, do I. So the first and worst example, and I have like a few of these that aren't like, we'll start slow and then we'll build to like the worst one, <laughs> is like I said, if you're looking down monotone reading your notes app on your phone, you're not going to make it, pal. Like you, you can read, you can have a reference point, but like you're giving a speech in a room where everyone's eye is on you. You're going to be like, you know, I remember when we were younger, we used to have sleepovers. Like, shut the fuck up. Everyone's going to start talking during your speech. You have to keep the engagement, right? You're putting on a show for these five to ten minutes, and your, your friend trusted you to do this job. Do it well for them. I've also seen, you know, the obvious answer of... I had a friend who his brother got absolutely blacked out and they had to take the mic from him. Oh, jeez. We had an, ex I had a wedding that I was at where something the best man said triggered somebody on the family and there was a fist fight. <gasps> Italians being Italians. But the worst of all, kind of the best too, but the worst of all, one of my college buddies got married and my other college buddy was his best man and completely and utterly eviscerated him for five minutes straight. Like ripped him apart to the point where everyone was like kind of uncomfortable. But God, was it funny for us, right? Like <laughs> we were dying, but can you, to the point you made your, your job is to introduce them to the other side of the family. <laughs> Who just went into his deep dark secrets and ripped him apart in front of people? Oh. Like it was a, it was literally like watching a roast on Comedy Central, and it was, it was a lot, it was a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, so don't do that, folks. Was the groom too happy about that? No, because there was one particular thing. Uh, I don't feel like I need to share what it is, but it had to do with his, uh, his man parts. That mm. it was like, don't fucking say it, and it was the first thing that he said. Oh, <laughs> lordy! It's pretty funny though. <laughs> You're still laughing pretty hard about it now, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it, uh, it, it, people crack under pressure, commoner. You know, or should I call you Coco? Uh, <laughs> pe people crack under pressure. You know, it's 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 there. Like you know how I made the comment earlier about you know most people's first time being that important in a room. For a lot of people, that's their first speech in front of a group of people. Oh wow! I didn't think about that. That's very true. It also just proves how important the decision of maid of honor or best man is. You, they need to be reliable above all else. Like if your best friend from back home is your best friend and so much fun, but she's a loose cannon, don't give her the mic. Make her bridesmaid number two. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> wedding I was at last night, they did, the bride had two sisters and they did a joint speech. Mm. So what do you think about raps or dubstep, like sing along to the Little Mermaid? For a speech? <laughs> You've never seen those? They're all over YouTube. I am, am, I, am I old that I've never <laughs> seen this? Yeah, um, people like change the words to ice, ice, baby and make it about the, the couple. It sounds like it's only white people that are doing this. Yeah, how'd you guess? <laughs> <laughs> What gave it away? Oh, my God. I need to watch this now. I'm going to watch this as soon as we hang up. <laughs> They're addicting. Uh, send, um, me, send me one, please. I'll send you a couple. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, next very tactical question is, how much should I spend on a gift? I've always been wondering this. So 
Does it change by your age? Does it change by your relation to the bride and groom? Should I expect to spend $300 on a gift for every wedding that I go to? Now, we're getting into a very situational question again, right? We are getting into cultural. We are getting into geographic area. We're getting into income level. Um, and from my point of view, I don't think you should give anything other than cash, right? I think that the point, like to your point that you made about a speech being to introduce the groom or bride to the other side, I think a wedding, the whole point of it is to send off this couple into their life, right? Mm -hmm. So what better way to send them off than with a nice fresh check and a card? Mm. That's just my opinion. Uh, that said, you know, sometimes it gets a little petty. Like in our case, for every wedding I went to after my wedding, I kind of just gave them back what they gave me. Mm. On the only thing that I took into consideration was I happened to have had a Thursday night wedding because after COVID, all the spots were booked up for two years and that right. was what we could do. So I took that into consideration. If I go to a really nice venue on a Saturday night, their wedding probably costs three times what mine costs. Per mm. head. So, you know, if they gave me 300 as a couple, I gave them 400. Mm -hmm. Um but I think you need to, I think that this is a very, very situational question. You need to take how close you are. You need to take where they're having the venue. How expensive is it? How much money? You're going to be the maid of honor. You're going to spend a thousand dollars on just knickknacks. Totally. Just being the maid of honor. Right. So take that into account, but also it's kind of an onus on you to give a generous gift. Are you going as a couple or are you not going as a couple? Um, as a couple. And that's another hard. question that I have. So I get to bring my plus one, the, Bride obviously knows my boyfriend quite well. I actually, he doesn't know her groom very well though, because they were long distance. We met in yeah. college. Yeah. So we, he doesn't know him. So I'm going to be at the bridal table and my boyfriend who gets to come to the wedding is going to have to meet her entire family and sit with them or something. So that's another thing I've been thinking about. Like, is there a better way to do that or is not? there an open bar? There is definitely an open bar. Tell to drink up. Yeah. Uh, but all jokes aside, um, I mean, if you can have some type of social interaction with some of the other guys that are going to be there for him, mm -hmm. I don't know if they golf or something like that, you can get that going. Obviously, like having some kind of introduction is going to be better for him. But in this case, Coco's boyfriend, brother, you're going to have to take one for the team on this. She's going to have, she's going to have obligations. She'll do her best to, to spend time with you, but you're going to have to be a soldier here, brother. Yeah, alrighty. He's good at that. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. doesn't know a stranger, so it's always helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, I'm learning so much. I'm, my life has become suddenly wrapped up in this type of discussion, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah. But it's it fun. only gets more and then babies come and then babies and then you do it all over again. But now it's for a kid. And then we have second marriages. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no one talks about that. Part. Yeah, yeah, no one talks about that part. So this is only going to work 50 percent of the time. Like, yeah, yeah, they're only on they're on a beach in like Aruba. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is always a destination, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird. We're not spending we're not spending 100 grand with 300 people again. Touch. <laughs> Um, I have to ask, we're talking about weddings and you're Italian. Is The Godfather your favorite movie? It is not. Oh. If, I had, if my favorite Italian American movie is Goodfellas. Oh, that's a good one. It's my dad's favorite. I'll take it. The Godfather is it's classic. It's great. But it's classic. I'm a Goodfellas guy. On the day of my daughter's wedding. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty. I think we've sufficiently beaten this topic to the ground. So sure. another thought that I have is... So I'm trying or I'm actively not drinking very much because yes. A, I get hungover off of one beer and B, it's skinny legend season and yes. I can't afford to have the calories to be honest with you. Summer bod. So I have started to notice more so now than in the past that it's really hard to not drink. And the reason why I say this is because when I go out to dinner with my team from work or we go out... We're traveling and we're all getting food for the 30 minute block that we have free from that entire day. Ever, there's beers everywhere and it's weird if I don't get a beer. So I wonder what your take is on that. Like, is there a better way to avoid it? Can I just say, no, I'll have sparkling water with lemon. It looks like alcohol. Like, do you have any tips? 
for yeah. that. So I, I, I don't know if you knew this. I started this recently as well. I think I've tweeted mm. about it, but I, I also, I actually got my blood work done early April and my doctor asked me if I was sober because of my liver markers. Cause wow. how little I've been drinking. Yeah. Listen, it's, it's, I'm with you, the calories, the money, the feeling like shit the next day, and it only gets worse. Um, so this, there's probably two main ways that we could go about this. And with work, it's going to probably be one way. And with friends, it's going to be the other day, the other way. So by the way, let me preface what I'm about to say with, I, for the majority of my teenage into twenties, I raged. I was a 15 <laughs> drinks in a night going out all the time kind of person. So like, and that's how my friends were. So what I'm about to say is coming from experience, I'm not someone that never drank. People expect you to drink. And also when you don't drink, it makes them feel self-conscious and they like get mad about it. They get like viscerally mad. Yep. Right. Like if alcohol came out today, everyone would treat it worse than cocaine. In my opinion. Because mm -hmm. think about like how inebriated you get, what it makes you do, et cetera. So with that being said, the two ways I think to go about it are first and foremost, you can just be devious to your point, right? You can just order club sodas with a lime. Maybe don't like tell the waiter or whatever, and you can kind of try and sneak past and hope nobody notices, you know, get a diet Coke and say it's a rum and Coke. Mm -hmm. The other way is that you just got to deal with the bullshit and be like, yeah, I'm not drinking and like, kind of like just cut it off right? Like use that assertiveness. And that's kind of how I've been going about it. And I am not being a dick about it, but I, like when someone's like, come on, I'm like, I'm like, you come on, just let me live. Right. I'll mm. have one in a little bit. I'm not drinking right now. Um, and eventually people are going to get the hint. It yeah. is, it is a stigma. It's annoying and it's a stigma. And like, people are going to assume that you were an alcoholic or that you're pregnant or something. Right. But I think it's one of those things that the positives outweigh the negatives and you just got to kind of bite the bullet and start doing it. And then people will get the hit. Another thought I had about this is if you're hosting and you want to have people go for a dinner party, you don't have to get drunk to do that, but people are going to expect for you to have wine and alcohol. If you invite them over for dinner, is that strange to let everyone else open up a bottle of wine, beer, shots, whatever. And you're sitting there, Drinking a sparkling water. I mean, listen, if you come to my house, I have every single kind of liquor available. Mm -hmm. If you come to my house, I will make you the drink that you want. I will have wine. I will have a high noon. I will have beer, some weird IPA, if that's what you're into. <laughs> I have bourbon. I, ha I have it all at my house. But I think personally, if you're hosting, you almost can do it a little easier because no one's going to notice as you run around cooking things and pulling things out, right? Yeah. Like you can almost kind of, or someone's like, you're going to have one? Like, yeah, in a second, I'll pour my own one. Mm. Of, uh, bounce around all of a sudden it's been three hours and no one realizes that you haven't had a drink yet mm -hmm. so it's situational but I do feel your pain because it is annoying it's an annoying thing that people want you to drink and I really really think the reason is that they feel self-conscious when they're drinking and you're not yeah I was surprised by the drinking culture at work like I've heard about it but just as soon as 4 p.m. hits on a Friday, where are we going, guys? Like, where are we going to get blasted together? Um, and how, like, bizarre it is for someone to not participate in the free open bar, which I get. It's free. But it just it was kind of jarring to me. I don't know why, because I just got out of college. I've seen people get drunk all the time. I used to get drunk all the time. But, like, why are you so... Why is it so normal for you to get drunk with people you work with every day? And this is supposed to be a professional environment. Like, why is that so normal? So I happen to know what you do. I'm not going to dox what you do. Obviously, <laughs> That's between us. But you're in the trenches, you know? Yeah. You guys are working those long ass hours. You're traveling. You're doing all that stuff that you do. And I think that that's for most people, that's their only release. I also think that. And this will lead nicely into if we talk about uh, what bro Seiden's got cooking. Something. Um, like people don't know how to take the edge off or be themselves. You know, I, I actually, I believe I saw Kuda tweet one time. Like if you need to be drunk around friends to hang out, they're not your friends. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think a lot of people need to be drunk to be themselves. They, like I'll tell you what, I know the majority of my guy friends, they can't talk to a girl unless they're drunk. Mm. 
right? They're like sober. I I remember distinct, this is like a distinct memory in my head. I remember like right at the end of college towards like early after college, like I'm talking from 20 to 25, people, I was in a relationship already, so it didn't matter to me, but people thought like if you had sex with someone sober, it was like the craziest thing. You guys had sober sex. What are you like dating? But like that, yeah, I know. Ugh, but like that's it's it's what it is, right? Yeah, like that's that's like how ingrained drinking is. Drink the you know drinking has been a part of humanity forever. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, that's a. I mean, a very accurate portrayal of the drinking and bar scene of the young twenty-year-old. I can confirm even now. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. I just, when I read Cernovich or someone like that, they always bring up like, this isn't, you don't have to live like that. And I know now that I don't. <laughs> so I think just being a step, a step back, you're like, wow, it's really not good for you, dude. And it's just so common, but that's college. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's messy. But again, I will say I definitely fell prey to it. I made my decision as I got older and actually this all started during COVID if I'm mm. being honest, because I saw so many people drinking every day during COVID because oh, they didn't goodness. know what the fuck else to do. And I was like, I am not going to do this. I actually ended up getting in the best shape of my life during it mm. because I was like, I'm going to be so contrarian and I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> Very millennial. Um, what I did in COVID is it was kind of similar, but since we all got sent home from college, when we came back, we were not supposed to see each other, right? Because you're still like COVID is a thing. So you can only sit outside with your mask on three feet apart, sorry, six feet apart, of course, yeah. in a circle. And that's your social interaction at school as a 21 year old or 20 year old, <laughs> whatever it was. So of course people started doing more reckless things because it was even harder to do so. So like yeah. people would drink in the woods really late at night and the parties would get bigger and all the, that kind of thing. So it was like this whiplash where everyone went home for COVID, mellowed out, drank with their parents. And then when they came back from college, even though it was supposed to be still COVID lockdown, like people went nuts. And I, myself included, because I'm like, I'm 21. I'm never going to be able to do this stuff again. This is my 21st year. And I spent half of it locked in my house. Like, I'm not getting what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. Like, let's go have fun. Let's never miss another night. Like, and just go so hard. And I think it's part of the reason why it's really intense right now. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, funny story. I had my wedding summer 2021. My wedding was the first wedding for most people after COVID oh, lockdowns. Boy. People went nuts. There wasn't a sober person at my wedding. Yeah. But it, it, it was the bounce back factor. 100%. Yeah. But I think also the other point here that we're missing is that people spent two years in their house. They lost their patience. They lost their ability to deal with other people. Mm -hmm. They got awkward. Dude, you only talk to your parents for two years and like Zoom calls. You're going to be awkward. What helps with that more than anything else? Eh, four beers. Yeah. Yeah. A bounce back factor was real. And it's, it's interesting to me because of our age gap that you're experiencing it like with your friends way more than I am. Right. Cause at your age, people are still raging all the time. Right. A lot of more people are single. Like I'm sure you're seeing it times 10 from yeah. what I see. Yeah. It's brutal out there on those streets <laughs> from my vantage point. Everyone's thought Yana. Yeah. <laughs> the music hasn't gotten any better. But... <laughs> so Okay, we have thoroughly disparaged alcohol, but we've also noted that there's a need for it because people need to relax, they need to chill out, they need to stop being their awkward selves. Yes. But you've created a product intended to solve that problem, in my understanding. So what, yes. what is the product that you made and why did you make it? That is a really good question. Thank you for asking. So I started Broside in, in August of last year. And... I started tweeting about talking to people, started tweeting about how to interact, started tweeting about etiquette when dealing with other people because maybe I'm crazy and, but it's all I think about, all I always thought about when I was a kid. Um, 
And that's why I felt the credentials to speak about it. And naturally, once you start building an audience, I was like, hmm, what can I bring to this audience that's actually going to add value? Now, a lot of people on Twitter have eBooks and they have courses and you have this fantastic podcast. But uh, I also am a little bit of a gym bro. You know, I've been boofing supplements for 16 years, trying all different kinds of things. So the two worlds kind of came together. And then the compounding thing in all of it was, as I started to discover this corner of Twitter from Ox and a few others and following UM and stuff, I really started dabbling with nootropics. So I started taking a bunch and they were working, right? Like I would take some proxy and L-theanine and all of a sudden I was able to bang out four hours of work and feel fantastic. Can we pause? And so for those who may not know, what is a nootropic? Oh, sure. Very good. Very good pause. So a nootropic at its core is just a supplement for the brain. Mm. It is a supplement that changes some chemistry in your brain and is going to affect your brain in some hopefully positive way, right? So the two that I mentioned right there, L-theanine and Subroxy happen to be ingredients in my supplement, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, L-theanine, they call it meditation in a bottle. It's to calm you. Subroxy, uh, I don't want to scare folks away, but it has a uh, Adderall-esque effect on focus without any of the bad stuff in it. Hmm. It just will give you that hyper-focus that you're looking for. Oh. Um, yeah, but getting getting back to the thought process. So basically, I was trying to self-medicate ADHD. I started taking things, and I was like, I think that I, with these supplements and the way that they make me feel, I can recreate the effect of two to three beers, maybe a couple more but without alcohol. And that's what I set out to do. So I uh, recruited a few of the notorious biohackers on the internet that we know and love. <laughs> I asked them for their opinions and their formulations. I said exactly what I wanted to do. And then I, I set off to make it. And uh, that led to my company Ramp Health, which I will have more products in the future. I have a few coming down the pipe, but our first product is called B4. And the entire purpose of it is to take it before you go anywhere, before you go out, before you have a big business meeting, before you go to a barbecue, before you go to the bar, before you go on a date. And its entire purpose is to put you in a euphoric, calm, focused state, basically to make you feel good, you know, look good, feel good, feel good, play good kind of deal without having to drink four drinks before you go out. And well, it sounds fantastic. Process. Yes. So... Can we go through what's in it? You mentioned a couple, but let's yeah. go line by line. What's in this thing? 100%. So the first thing that we have, and this was the hardest ingredient and the rarest ingredient to source, uh, is something called amoxapine succinate. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. All right. sound like a little silly. Um, but amoxapine is actually used RX overseas uh, to treat and combat anxiety. So it is a very strong anti-anxiety. It also happens to have a really strong verbal fluency effect. So like word recall and the smoothness of your, your talking, it, it, for some reason, it has a really, really smooth verbal fluency effect. So obviously we had to have that. It's probably the most important ingredient in B4. From there, we have something I already mentioned called subroxy. And I already talked about that, but essentially it's gonna give you like an aware focused state of mind. Um, Side note, this is unofficial advice. Uh, it does in my, from my testing, when you drink and you take it, it does kind of help you be more sober. Mm. Uh, if that makes sense, uh, yeah. I, I, it, uh, it feels really good in my opinion. Um, from there we have L-theanine, again, something I already mentioned, meditation in a bottle that's meant to just calm your anxiety, calm your stress. We have three others, all for anti-anxiety and calm and relaxation. And those are agmatine sulfate, lemon balm extract and ashwagandha so again the entire purpose is to make you calm to get rid of social anxiety to get rid of that like hey i hope they fucking cancel i don't want to talk to these people feeling Mm -hmm. um and and make you also have a little bit of focus and verbal fluency but the last ingredient that we added in is something called n-phenethyl dimethylene and that is a mild stimulant i shouldn't say mild it's a stimulant um it's not caffeine it has a shorter half-life but it wouldn't do what we wanted it to do if it didn't give you that alertness as well. Uh, it's actually a very common ingredient in pre-workouts nowadays um, to really kind of give you that feel-good feeling. And the combination of these ingredients, I have tested it. I have 
had at least 25, 30 people I know tested. And then I also sent it to a bunch of people I didn't know to get feedback. I'm sure you've seen some of the tweets that I've mm -hmm. retweeted, but mm -hmm. it, it works. And I'm really excited that it works. It does what it's supposed to do. Now, I am going to throw out a legal disclaimer. I am not a doctor. You should most definitely do your own research and consult your doctor before taking any nootropics and especially mixing them with other substances. Um, but in my opinion and with my experience, this works really well. So it sounds like it's a mixture of chemicals or chemical byproducts and also natural ingredients. Yes. And was the reason for that just these are the best things for each of these needs? And so we picked the best? Or do you think like a combination was helpful in some way? I take ashwagandha every day. I've noticed that it helps me relax already. So I'm very in interested in the idea of combining a bunch. And one thing I've always thought is, you know, Ox will take a picture of his enormous supplement stack and post it on the internet. And I've always wondered, why doesn't he just bundle them together? And people would just buy Bowtie Ox's supplement stack. And, you know, it's not perfectly tailored to them. But that's effectively what you've done just into a really tiny dose. Yeah, 100%. So there was two thought, two things that we thought about. First and foremost, I had to get it made, right? So I couldn't use anything illegal, couldn't use drugs, couldn't uh, do anything that wasn't available on the markets. So right. if you go to Ramp Health's website, you go to B4, you look at the ingredients list, you can go and buy each of those ingredients on Amazon. Uh -huh. It will cost you $400 to buy them separately, but you can go and buy those ingredients. The second thing is you hit the nail on the head. We just, I only went after the most effective dosages and ingredients. Um, UM helped me with that. He is a genius with that stuff. Um, but that is what we went after. I just wanted this to work. I didn't care about how much it cost. Uh, to me for the product. I didn't care how hard it was to go make. In fact, it took me four months to find a supplier to get this mm. made. But once I did, it, we have something good here. I'm really excited about what I'm bringing. To the and so just out of curiosity, is it a powder that you would put into water? That is a really good question. So I happen to have made the first iteration, a drinkable powder kind of mm -hmm. like liquid IV or element mm -hmm. or anything that you're used to. And my thought process was I am not targeting deep internet biohackers. They're going to go buy their ingredients on their own and do their own thing. Mm -hmm. I'm targeting normal people. And in order for me to get the dosages the right way, I would have had to supply an eight pill serving. Mm. Coco, be honest with me. Are you nope. pop eight pills nope. before you go to the bar? No. Nope. But if I give you a watermelon flavored drink that you just have to throw in a pole and spring in the Uber, it's a lot Done. easier. Yeah, yeah. That's that was my thought process, right? I thought about my wife and her friends. They're not going to take eight pills, but if I give you a apple-flavored drink that you just got to chug real quick, it'll get the job done. So that was exactly why I did that. But yes, it is a drinkable powder in individual packets. I love the thought behind you picked something that is very specific. This is for when you're going out, and you're kind of nervous, or you don't really want to, or you just want to be the best version of yourself, this is going to help you do that. It's not energy or relaxation or tiredness, whatever it is. It's like, this is a very specific moment in your life that is very relatable to help you with. So me, as a budding entrepreneur like yourself, I can see where you're going with this if I have an idea what the other products will be. So I'm interested to see or hear from you. What else are you thinking of being in the pipeline? I appreciate the, the, um, the aff affirmation of what I'm doing. Thank you. <laughs> I, I went after a very specific thing and I'm excited about that. Um, obviously the next products after I have a hangover cure coming down the pipe yep. with some, with some uh, electrolytes as a separate product as well. Cause it's just a natural marriage there. Um, but my thought process recently has been developing additional supplement stacks into products for specific activities, actually. So I'm not locked down on any of this, but like I thought, why wouldn't I make a golf supplement? Mm. Why wouldn't I make, you know, gamers or people? What about a gamer sitting at their desk playing three hours of Call of Duty? Uh, what about someone doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, someone playing tennis? I don't know. And thinking about the things that you would want to experience when you do those 
you know, we take pre-workout to go work out. We take uh, vitamin D when we wake up and to feel good and, and to regulate our hormones in that way. Like, why wouldn't we do it for everyday activities? I feel like the gym is handled already. I don't need to be another gym supplement company, mm-hmm. right? We don't need more pre-workout and more protein, but you know, what about going for a long bike ride? So that was my thought process. I want to target very specific things in life uh, and create stacks for them. That's the goal for ramp health. Yeah. I think hangover cure is a home run. The golf versus tennis versus other activities is interesting. I just wonder how different will the stack end up being. And that's, you know, we're talking down the pipe, right? Who knows? Right, right, right. I have to do my research. I have to talk to my formulation people and do what I got to do. But that is where my head is at with this. And that's what I think that the market's going to want. But I don't know what the market wants. I got to test it and see what I get back. Right, right. And the the current product, B4, and the Hangover Cure, they align so well with brocidin. It's like a perfect combination of brocidin and gym junkie supplement secret brocidin. That was the thought process. That was how it came to be. So you can kind of understand, you know, how I thought about it and how this 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 came into fruition. Um, I will say, I do want to give a quick shout out. My entire company. So I have, I am on the brink of hitting a very significant milestone uh, in terms of dollars in, and mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, I'm pre-selling out of my product is going to be finishing production actually Thursday. It will be completed. Mm-hmm. Um. And my entire company has been developed by people I've met on Twitter. My graphics were made by Twitter people. My marketing is consulted with and done at the help of Twitter people. My formulations, the way I got my manufacturer, everything that I did, this entire company was created from what Bull started. And then all the people that have come into fruition and started sharing their knowledge of like this Wi-Fi money game. It's been really fucking cool. I wonder if Bowtie Bull had that vision in his mind, their mind, whatever. Or if he just thought, this will be a way for people to make money on the side. They will start content websites in their niches. Do you think he ever, and I don't know if you would ever know this, but do you think he thought of that, of like this interconnection, of we're making an economy, like a you went to Harvard Business School, but it's actually anonymous Twitter university. And now you know these people and they're going to help you succeed. I mean, if you ask them, they're going to say yes, right? Yeah, (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) um, uh, But it's, you know what? I think that at the end of the day, they probably did. And they, you know, this was an experiment that seems to be going well. Um, But think about how few people do it. Think about how few people, think about how, does anyone you know, your age have a side business that actually does something? No. no, people like I know people that have like someone who made baskets. I know someone who makes cookies, blah, blah, blah. I know like one person who has a side business and it's someone I know's wife who creates graphics for teachers. She was a teacher and stopped being a teacher because she was making so money selling them online, huh. like lesson plans. And, you know, here's the, oh, the day for Mother's Day. Yeah. She makes guap doing it. Actually, you know, you, you just create it once and you sell it as a $2 PDF. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, she, she cakes on it, um, but no one does it. Right. So I, I think that their hope was to attract the people who will actually do something and us all come together and start forming this really cool thing. Um, and then it makes them look good and it probably makes them money as well. Right. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship because oh. if you're listening, shout me out and I'll give you as much money as you want. <laughs> um. What was the most difficult part of the process going from idea to product that can be purchased and fulfilled? It's two parts. So in my particular case, uh, finding a manufacturer was the first hardest part because amoxapine was an ingredient that was tough to lock down. Um, And uh, US-based manufacturing companies it's like boomer order taking salespeople that took a week and a half to get back to me to tell me they couldn't make my product. Mm. And I was like, fuck you, you lazy piece of shit. Excuse <laughs> my language. But like, I was so frustrated. Like I would, I, don't make me send you three emails in a row when you're supposed to be selling me mm-hmm. to use your service. Um, so that was the first part. But to be honest, for anything related to a business, it took me a long time to understand that this is 95% marketing. 
Mm-hmm. Like nothing else matters. You can sell a product that doesn't exist if your marketing is right. Mm-hmm. You have to build an audience. You have to learn. Like, I don't think most people realize. Like, you have a cool idea. Whoever's listening right now, if you're being inspired by this, like, you have a cool idea. You want to make, you know, SpongeBob pool floats that do the SpongeBob laugh. I don't know. Whatever your idea is, what you don't understand is it is really hard to get somebody to click an ad on Instagram and actually buy your product. Mm-hmm. It has to be the right mindset. It has to be the right messaging. The landing page has to be good. It has to convert them. Like, that is the hardest part. And I'm still learning that right? I'm still in the process of locking it down. But I think that was the hardest thing for me was that paradigm shift to be like, holy shit, this isn't grimy. This isn't sleazy. This is just how business is done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. you experienced it with the podcast too, right? You put in all this work. You think that the actual logistics are the hard part. No, the hard part is getting people to listen to it. Yeah. Or just to be found when it's so competitive yes. and there's like a million podcasts that talk about similar topics. Um, absolutely. That's why I've said this before, but YouTube, the biggest change I made was when I have an idea for a video, I make the thumbnail first. And if I can't make a good thumbnail or if the thumbnail needs to look a little different, I do that. I'm like, okay, people will click on this. Then I make the video that fits that thumbnail, even if it was different than the original idea, because I totally agree. It's all that matters. And if something is like an algorithm, especially like a Facebook ad or a YouTube video, it's you need to get recommended and the only way you'll get recommended is if people click so thousand percent hard thing to learn hard especially from someone who comes from like engineering or a math background and like marketing's the easiest thing ever nobody takes the marketing classes and not that they're learning anything useful at a marketing degree (laughs) but it's all that matters (laughs) yeah jester wi-fi money guy if you're listening i hope you're proud of us yeah Jester's my manager. Um, <laughs> so, okay, fascinating. And for those who are listening, there is a link to before both below this podcast, if you're listening on Spotify and below on YouTube. If you are listening on YouTube, feel free to try it out. Um, anything else that you'd like to add about before before we wrap this one up? Um, yeah, one last thing, uh-huh. folks. Uh, I am a very genuine person i am not here to scam people or do anything uh if you take it and it doesn't work for you you have a bad reaction whatever just message me i will give you your money back i have a hundred percent money back guarantee i am uh not in the business like i said of, of being scummy i am here to to bring a really good product to market and that's all i care about so um no questions asked just send it back and i'll give you your money back fully no questions asked so i just wanted to make sure that that was said a man who understands lifetime value. <laughs> One of Jester's amazing tenants that he has. But um, yes. this has been really fun. Really good conversation. As always, bro Sidon, as always. So I love you, Coco. This was <laughs> I love thank you too, say say. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And everyone, go give Mr. Bro Sidon a follow on Twitter. Try out his new B4 when you're ready to go to that wedding that you're really nervous about and we'll see you in the next episode thanks for coming again brosiden anytime thank you so much for listening this has been yet another episode of common sense if you liked the conversation please consider hitting that follow button on spotify oh and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups you dislike. You have a great day now.